Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. Songcraft brings you conversations with and about the men and women who've put pen to paper, hands to keyboards, and fingers to strings to create lyrics and music that stand the test of time. You probably know the names, and you definitely know the songs. We bring you the stories. Keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, or our website by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. While Songcraft is always free, if you believe in our mission of preserving and presenting these important conversations, we invite you to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. There you can help support us with a voluntary monthly pledge that will also give you access to bonus content and other extras as our way of saying thanks for your continued support. You're listening to My Girl, recorded by The Temptations and written by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Smokey Robinson. The Songwriters Hall of Fame and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee will join us later in the show to talk about his Motown legacy and his string of timeless hits including Shop Around, You've Really Got a Hold on Me, The Tracks of My Tears, My Guy, The Way You Do the Things You Do, Cruisin', and more. Part 1 Well, as in many instances before, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Pearl Snap Studios. So for anyone out there who has a song that you want to get a quality demo for, Pearl Snap Studios is your spot. Country, rock, pop, Motown, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, Justin and the, and the talented producers over at Pearl Snap, uh, that's where you need to go. Those guys are in Nashville, right? They are in Nashville, but it doesn't matter. If, no, wherever you are, you can send your files in, and they'll turn a demo around, and it's inexpensive. It's a great demo, and they'll get it right back to you. You don't have to live in one of the major media centers of the world. So I could just grab an acoustic guitar right now if I wanted, sing a song into some sort of recording device, MP3 it to Justin, and he will create something that sounds like a full-on professional demo. Yep, and I'll tell you, the one thing they can't do is make your song any better than it is. I mean, if you turn in like a lame song, Mm -hmm. you're going to have an amazing demo of a lame song. Yeah, yeah. Most of my songs are lame, so... Yeah, well, write a great song, and you'll get a great (laughs) demo for it, and then you're going to buy a yacht. Nice. I promise you, listeners. Right, right. But yeah, go to (laughs) PearlSnapStudios.com and check out what they can do for you. Even if maybe you've written a few songs, you've never demoed one before, and you've been trying to... uh, you know, think maybe if it's time to take the plunge and do something like that. Uh, this is a great opportunity because Justin's a great guy to work with. And yep. if you tell him that Songcraft sent you, I guarantee they'll give you a deal. Yep. And uh, and if not, if you don't need them, maybe just call your buddy Smokey Robinson or maybe he can help you with it or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, speaking of buddies, now Justin actually yeah. is a buddy of yours, yeah. Paul. Because yeah. uh, the other night you were hanging out with him if i if i understood correctly i was sitting across a table from him when i got a text from you telling me that this smoky robinson interview was about to happen in less than 24 hours <laughs> and i needed to get my butt back to la right. to make it happen i right. was with justin at that moment right funny uh so we have been trying to interview smoky robinson for uh well ever since we started this podcast yeah. Actually, I would say this. When we started this podcast, we never imagined we'd be interviewing no. a guy like Smokey Robinson. No. But it was a dream. I yeah. mean, it was a, it was like a pipe dream for us. And when we started this, I know we kind of have our little wish list or whatever. At the beginning of this, I said, I want to interview Willie Nelson, Dan Penn, Smokey Robinson. At the same time. <laughs> and I want them to wrestle each other. <laughs> and I want us to like take bets. So Dan we've <laughs> So we've 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 interviewed Dan Penn. Uh, we have now interviewed Smokey. Yeah. So we're coming for you, Willie. Yeah, um, totally. But no, I, I I so badly wanted to interview Smokey Robinson. To me, he is like the king of pop songwriters. Yeah. Um, and we've been chasing it for a while. 
We've had conversations with Smokey's camp uh, that have been going on for uh, a few months. Yeah. And, you know, it would look like there'd be a good opportunity, but something would come up and it wouldn't quite work out or whatever. And so we've been kind of chasing this thing. And we were told that we might be able to do something around like after the Grammys. Yeah. Um, so we were thinking like the Monday or Tuesday after the Grammys. Well, the Thursday night before the Grammys, I get an email from Smokey's guy and he's like, Smokey can do the interview, Los Angeles Convention Center. 5.30 p.m. tomorrow. Well, <laughs> first of all, the convention center is three blocks long. So I don't really know where <laughs> right. the convention center is going to happen. But it doesn't matter where at that point. I'm just like, yes, we are in. We're doing this. Yep. That's when I text you. I hope you're in town. And you were I'm not. Like, I'm in <laughs> a town. Yeah, I'm not right. in the town that you want me to be I'm in. I'm in I was, Nashville. I was in Nashville. <laughs> and this this is why we are thankful for things like sponsorships and the people that help you know with Patreon and things like that. Because I had to change a flight and I had to fly back here. <laughs> yeah. it, that's not usually what happens. We don't. I usually have to get a plane ticket to interview somebody. Yeah, I remember we. I talked to you on the phone and it was midnight in Nashville. And yeah. you're like, "There's a flight that leaves at six. Yeah. So I could sleep for four hours. Yeah. And, well, uh, by the time I got home and got it all worked out, it was two. <laughs> got up at four. Right. Took an Uber to the airport. Right. Right. Got here. And I was like, dude, this better happen. But what was amazing <laughs> was we still didn't have any further details nope. other than 530 LA Convention Center. Uh, we were walking from our parking spot towards what we thought might be generally the right area of the convention center uh, about 45 minutes before the scheduled interview. Uh, that's when we got an email from right. management saying, go to such and such a room. So it just so happens they're having the Music Cares Dolly Parton tribute that night. So every A-list uh, music star is right. there. So security is insane. So we had to sort of figure out how to get past all that. Yeah, and there's there's really no dumber feeling than walking up to a, a giant building surrounded with security and, and you know, just saying, yeah, we're we're looking for Smokey Robinson. <laughs> Trust us, it's yeah, fine. It should be, it, yeah, <laughs> totally. It, he's he's here somewhere and he, he's expecting us. <laughs> right. So we find the room. We go to the room. It's a ballroom, right? But there's nothing in the ballroom except for two tables and a few chairs. And we get all our stuff set up. We're like, I hope this is right. <laughs> and then about ten minutes beforehand, Smokey's manager walks in and he's like, Hey, is one of you guys Scott? I'm like, Yeah, that's me. And, and he's like, oh, it's cold in here. Yeah. I, I don't think uh, Smokey's not going to like this. And then he just leaves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're like, this still might not happen. Yeah, well, like, it's like, it's, yeah. so it gets to be 530, no Smokey. 535, no Smokey. I was like, oh, we got to call this thing on account of cold. <laughs> right? 540, door opens. Smokey Robinson yep. walks in the room. I start high-fiving myself on the inside, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, it was epic it was awesome he walks in super cool guy super friendly great stories we had our time with him he gave us hugs afterwards yeah i'm also going to credit Smokey with the firmest handshake of any songcraft yeah guest. yeah he really like went in for it yeah i I've, i'm still kind of sore <laughs> <laughs> but, but i haven't washed my hand yet <laughs> but it was amazing and i remember after it was over i think we were just both kind of in this weird because it was so uncertain up until yeah. the last second and then the whole time it was happening we're like is this really happening yeah. And then when it was over, I just wanted to like take my shirt off and run around yeah. the empty ballroom screaming. We and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Wave wave my arms in the air, jump up and down. I mean, it was it was yeah. great. Yeah. And you know what's what's really cool about it is that going back and listening, the interview is actually as good as we thought it was. Yeah. It's not just that we were excited to meet a famous guy. Yeah. But, you know, the stories that he told, 
the the warmth in his voice and, and just it, it was a real conversation a real moment and it's one of those things that you normally don't get on tape yeah i'm really just, glad that we have this. it just seems like a genuinely kind uh cool guy yeah. and uh boy it was worth the wait yeah part two Ranked in the top five of Rolling Stone magazine's greatest songwriters of all time, Smokey Robinson is an American musical icon. Practically synonymous with the legendary Motown records, Robinson wrote most of the hits associated with his own group, The Miracles, including Shop Around, You've Really Got a Hold on Me, Going to a Go-Go, Ooh Baby Baby, The Tracks of My Tears, I Second That Emotion, Baby Baby Don't Cry, and The Tears of a Clown. Beyond writing for himself, Smokey penned a long list of hits for other Motown artists, including You Beat Me to the Punch and My Guy for Mary Wells, The Way You Do the Things You Do, My Girl, and Get Ready for The Temptations, Don't Mess with Bill, and The Hunter Gets Captured by the Game for The Marvelettes, and I'll Be Doggone and Ain't That Peculiar for Marvin Gaye. In later years, Smokey launched a successful solo career, scoring self-penned hits with Baby That's Back At Ya, Quiet Storm, Cruisin', and Being With You. The Grammy-winning songwriter, producer, and performer was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He is a National Medal of Arts recipient and a Kennedy Center honoree. Smokey has additionally been honored with the Library of Congress's Gershwin Prize for Popular Song, the Soul Train Heritage Award, the BET Lifetime Achievement Award, the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and countless other honors. Five of his songs are on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of 500 songs that shaped rock and roll, and five have been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Four of his compositions can be found among Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The long list of other artists who've drawn from the Smokey Robinson songbook includes the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Michael Jackson, Ella Fitzgerald, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, The Supremes, The Four Tops, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, Dionne Warwick, Dusty Springfield, Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, George Benson, D'Angelo, Neo, and more. Smokey, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Well, you grew up in Detroit, which was a real melting pot back in the 40s and 50s when you were a kid. Um, what were some of the musical influences that first caught your ear and made you think, hey, I'd like to maybe create something like that? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what made me think I'd I, I, I like to create something like that. The first music, the first voice that I ever heard, in, that I ever remember hearing in my life was Sarah Vaughan. Mm. And the first people I heard was Count Basie and Duke Ellington and Sarah Vaughan and Billy Eckstein and Frank Sinatra and people like that. And, and, and uh, my mom was playing the Five Blind Boys and the Bolognaires and, and Muddy Waters and B.B. King. And, and some days in, in, in my house, you would hear nothing but Bach. You yeah. know, it just, it just, I just had one of those songs where there was always music. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm everything. sure that that had a great influence on me. Yeah, sure. You know, I've tried to write songs all of my life. Uh, since I was a little boy, I think the first song that I ever wrote that anybody other than my mom and me heard, uh, I was in first grade in elementary school at Dwyer Elementary in Detroit, and I was in a play, and the play was uh, based on Uncle Remus. Do you guys know who Uncle Remus oh, is? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. no, was Rare Rabbit. Uncle, yeah, 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 Uncle yeah. Remus was, is a folklore guy. He's an old yeah. black guy who told all the kids how the animals got to be like they are, why the zebra has stripes, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're doing a play in first grade about Uncle Remus, and I'm playing the part of Uncle Remus. Nice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, my, my auditorium teacher uh, played this little melody at the beginning of the play and at the end of the play. And while we were rehearsing, 
you know, I asked her, I said, Mrs. Campbell, I said, can I write some words for that? She said, yes. And so I wrote some words, and she liked them, so I sang it at the beginning of the show and at the mm-hmm. end of the show. And that was the first song that I ever wrote that anybody other than my mom and me heard. My mom was in the audience, and you would have thought that I was Cole Porter or somebody, <laughs> somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? Because right. my mom called people. She didn't even know. <laughs> told them. But yeah, I've, I've tried to write all my life, man. So I've been writing, and, um, and um, uh, it's just a part of me. It's just what I do. I, I do mm. it all the time, yeah. even now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I understand your mom passed away when you were a kid. Ten. Like when ten I was ten, old. yes. And... For you as a kid, I mean, going through that grieving process, in, in what ways was music or, or that kind of creativity an outlet for you? When my mom passed, the world stopped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking about music or any of that. The, mm-hmm. the world stopped. Fortunately for me, I had two older sisters. My, my, my oldest sister was 17 when I was born. My youngest oh. sister was 14 when I was born. Oh. And uh, so my oldest sister became my mom. Right. My oldest sister ended up having 10 kids of her own, so it was like 11 of us. But my oldest wow. sister became my mom. Even though my dad was still alive, my oldest sister came back to move in the house mm. and lived there with her kids, and it was like 11 of us. And I think that my, 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 uh, my support was the fact that I had love in my family, mm-hmm. and that's what got me through. And, and I started to get back into living and stuff with her kids and so on and so forth. My nieces and nephews are actually like my brothers and sisters. Sure, wow. yeah. And um, so, but music was, has, has always been a part of my life. I don't think that my mom's passing had any, any more influence on me than the music. I had, a, I had a great dose of music, man. I had all kinds of music being played yeah. in my house from day one that I can remember. Yeah. So I was influenced by all of that, I'm sure. Mm. Was, was the name Smokey, was that a family name? Did that come from? It came from my family roundabout uh, because it was from my Uncle Claude. My Uncle Claude, who was also my godfather. Hmm. And uh, he used to always take me to see cowboy movies when I was three and four years old. And I loved cowboys, especially the ones who sang. Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys who sang. Yep. They had the guitar. Right. So my Uncle Claude had a cowboy name for me, which was Smokey Joe. And when anybody asked me what my name was, sometime I was three or four years old, I said, what's your name? My name is Smokey Joe. Wow. That's what I told them. <laughs> so all of my life, even my teachers, when I got to be about 12, they dropped the Joe, yeah. and I just became Smokey. Wow. But even my teachers, everyone has always called me Smokey. Very few people in my life have ever called me other than that. Right. You yeah. know, I had one aunt that called me Billy because my name is William. Yeah. You know, and then Melvin Franklin of the Temptations always called me Will. Will. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> but uh, other than that, Everybody's always called me Smokey. It so. would have been a perfect name for a boxer, too. You can, you know, <laughs> Smokey Joe Robinson. Smoking Joe Fraser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, by the late 50s, you had a doo-wop group called the Matadors, which later was to be renamed the Miracles. And the rise of your career is completely intertwined with the rise of Barry Gordy's Motown Records in that early era. How did you first get to know Barry? Um, when I was a kid growing up, man, uh, Jackie Wilson was my number one singing idol. Hmm. I had a bunch of them. But Jackie Wilson was number one in my book, and he was from Detroit. And um, so uh, it came at a point, after, just after we graduated from high school, uh, one of the guys in the group, his name was Ronnie White, his cousin came to us and told us that he had arranged for us to go see Jackie Wilson's managers to audition for them. Wow. <laughs> so, man, you know, I'm like 16 years old, and that's, oh, boy, go see Jackie Wilson's manager, audition yeah. for them. That's great, you know. So we prepared five songs that I had written, rather than going singing currently popular uh, songs by other artists, 
we thought if we sang five songs that I've written, they're going to say, these guys got their own material, so yeah. we'll definitely sign them, you know, because right. we don't do Wrong. <laughs> 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 they did not like us at all, man. Mm. And at that point, one of our members, a guy named Emerson Rogers, had gone to the service when we graduated from high school. He had his mother to sign so he could go to the service. So we were the Matadors, and his sister, Claudette, was in a group called the Matadorettes. <laughs> and so they rehearsed with us a lot. So we asked Claudette to go sing with us because we needed that fifth voice, yeah. you know. And she knew those songs because we rehearsed together and all. So we rehearsed them and we went down and we sang for them. And they didn't like us at all. They, you know, they thought that uh, by Claudette being in the group, uh, it made us too much like the Platters. And the uh. Platters were the number one group in the world yeah. at that time. So they thought that we'd never make it because we were too much like the Platters. And they thought that Claudette and I should just become a, a duet and be like Mickey and Sylvia yeah. back in those days, you know. Wow. Mm -hmm. But anyway, at that audition, Barry Gordy happened to be there because Barry Gordy was writing all the songs for Jackie Wilson at that time, mm. okay? So he was there to turn in some new songs. You know, he was just happened to be there. Yeah. I call it a God day because Barry didn't have to be there that day, man. Yeah. Or we didn't have to go on the day when he was going to be there, you know, but right. we did, and he was. Mm. So after the audition was over and they rejected us, Barry came out in the hallway and he met us and he said, hey man, he said, where'd you guys get those songs from? So I said, I wrote them. He said, you wrote all those songs? I said, yeah. I didn't know who he was. I thought he was right. waiting to audition because he looked so young. You know, right. I was 16. I thought he was about 19 or 20, yeah. you know. And, uh, and uh, he said, I liked a couple of your songs, man. So I'm thinking to myself, oh God, he liked a couple of songs. That's great, man. And I'm being very nice because I said, well, thank you, man. So on and so forth. He said, and then he said, yeah, he said, he said, he said I'm very Gordy. No, you cannot be possible. <laughs> you mean Barry Gordy writes all those hits for Jackie Wilson, Russell Stokes, Eddie James, all those, you mean that Barry Gordy? Because I had all his records, man. Wow. And whenever I buy music, I always look to see who wrote the songs. I right. always have, you right. know. I said, man, that, you, you're that Barry Gordy? He said, yeah, man. You know, I, just, I, I couldn't believe it. Hmm. You know, this guy liked a couple of my songs. Yeah. So he said, you got any more songs? He shouldn't have said that because I had a loose leaf notebook <laughs> with about 100 songs in it, man. Yes, I do. Throughout my school years, you know takes me off in this little room. I must have sang 20 songs for Barry wow. that day. <laughs> and rather than him being impatient or something like that, he, you know, he just critiqued every last one of them. Wow. He didn't ever say, well, I got to go or my yeah. time's up. He just sat there and, listened and he critiqued every song, man. So back in those days, man, ever since I was a little boy, I could always rhyme. I could always rhyme stuff, man. So my songs were all rhymed up. Hmm. But only the two that he liked <laughs> during that audition were complete songs because the other ones didn't make sense because they didn't tie in together. Yeah. Hmm. My first verse, give you an example, would be saying, Oh, my darling, it's so good to have you here in my arms. I love being with you like this. I, I can't imagine being without you. But it all rhymed up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Second verse would say, Baby, when are you coming back? I haven't seen you in 10 years. <laughs> I miss you so much. And you know I need to be with you. All rhymed up. You know, it didn't have shit to do with the verse. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. The bridge had nothing to do with either one of those verses. You know what I'm saying? So at the end, you know, he just finally said, he said, man, he said, let me tell you something. He said, a song has got to be like a short book hmm. or a short movie or a short story or something like that, that the beginning and the middle and the ending tie in together. Yeah. He said, even if you don't really end it, you, say, you give people enough ammunition or enough material, enough information that they can make their own ending, but you have tied everything together yeah. for them. Yeah. Go home and listen to the radio, see what they're writing, and come back, you know. That's yeah. incredible so advice. That, that's how I met Barry. Yeah. And um, so 
I, I, I went home and I listened to the radio. And at that time, Get a Job hmm. by the Silhouettes was the number one record in the world. And every day I would watch American Bandstand. And I would dream about being on American Bandstand. And so I went home, and one day, after I'd had the conversation with Barry, the silhouettes were on American Bandstand, and they were singing, Get a Job. And I was watching. And I said, oh, that's it. Got a job. <laughs> so after it was over, I wrote a song called Got a Job. Wow. And I was so excited about it. And I took the bus and went down to Barry's office, you know, and... He was in a meeting, actually, and I interrupted. I knocked on the door, and I said, hey, man, I said, I got it. You know, he said, you got it, man? I said, yeah, I got it. He said, excuse me, and he left and came out. To the room. We went in a little room by ourselves, and I sang it for him, and he flipped out. Wow. And he recorded it on us. Walked all day till my feet were tired. I was low, I just couldn't get hired. Saw a sign in a grocery store Help us light And we need some more I got a job I was working for Western Union delivering telegrams and uh, so I just worked until January before I started to go to college and I started to go to um, uh, Highland Park Junior College in Detroit so anyway I'm sitting in, in school. I got a transistor radio plugged in my ear. And our record came out on February 19th. So every day I would listen. And one day I'm sitting in there, and it came on the radio. And you know, in college, they don't care if you stay in class or if you come or nothing. You know? So I ran out of the class, <laughs> ran to the phone booth. They still had phone booths in right. the hallway. Right. Called Claudette, told her our record's on the radio, called the guys and tell them, you know. And I was so excited. And so, uh, about a year or almost two years after that, Barry started Motown. And um, that's, that's, that's wow. how that yeah. happened. Well, Motown's very first million-selling single and, you know, first top ten hit was Shop Around. Your first massive hit. Yeah. You, had, yeah. you had appeared on the Billboard charts with Bad Girl already as yes. a songwriter and artist, but this was, this was, the, big, this was the big one. Um, and I understand that the original version was more gritty, kind of bluesy oriented, but you guys wound up recutting the song in a poppier manner and, and putting no, out a different man. version. What happened with Shop Around? I didn't even write Shop Around for me, man, or for the Miracles. I wrote Shop Around because we had an artist named Barrett Strong who had a huge record, Money, That's What I Want. Sure. Mm -hmm. Give me money, you know. So Barry yeah. said, man, I want you to do an album on, on Barrett. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. So I'm thinking, money, that's what I want. What's, what goes with money? Shopping. <laughs> so I wrote Shop Around for Barrett. Wow. <laughs> and Shop Around, I wrote, I'm not kidding, Within 30 minutes, wow. I had finished mm. Shop Around. Huh. And I was so excited about it because I knew this was going to be a big hit on Barry to follow up. Money, that's what I want. So I, got, before, I run up to Barry's office and say, hey, man, I said, I got it. He said, what? I said, I got the, the next one, number one record for Barrett. He said, okay, let me hear it. So we go down to the piano room, and I play it for him. And I play it because Barrett's song was a bluesy singer. You know, he was, yeah. Yeah. So I'm playing it just because you become a young man. With all the blues in the piano and all that. Mm -hmm. So Barry's excited about it, you know, and he says, move over, man. He said, I don't want to change the chords that you have in the bridge. So he changed the chords. So we sat there, and then after we got to work, he said, mm, okay, man, I want you to record this on you. I said, no, man. I said, I wrote this for Barry, man. Think of that. This is going to be. He said, no, 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 man. I like the way your voice sounds on this. Huh. I said, no, man. I said, come on, Barry. So we did 20 minutes of, no, Barrett, yeah, you. <laughs> so finally he said, man, just go in the studio and record it on you and the Miracles. So I did. 
But when I recorded it, I recorded it like I had written it for Barry. Mm. Yeah. Bluesy. And then she said, just because you become a young man now, it's still some things that you don't understand now. Before you ask some girl for a hand down, keep your freedom for as long as you can now. My mama told me, you better shop around. So the record had been out for about two weeks, three o'clock in the morning. My phone rings, and uh, I pick it up. Hello, hey man, what's up? Uh, he said, "It's me, Barry." I said, "Yeah, man." I said, "I recognize your voice." <laughs> I said, "What do you want, man?" He said, "What What are you doing?" <laughs> I said, "What am I doing?" No, I said, I'm, "I'm asleep." What are you doing? He said, "Man, shop around won't let me sleep." I said, "What do you mean, man?" He said, "You did the wrong treatment. You didn't give it the right treatment." He said, "I'm gonna change the beat." I'm going to change the sound. I'm going to change the feeling of it. And it's going to number one. Hmm. So I said, okay, man, that's cool with me. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. He said, no, no, no. I mean, right now. Hmm. He said, I've called all the musicians. I'm at the studio. You call the group. You guys come over here now. <laughs> so we went over at 3 o'clock in the morning and re-recorded Shop Around to the one that went. Oh, my gosh. The main song. <laughs> that's wow. such a great story. And she said, just because you become a young man now, it's still some things that you don't understand. Well, Smokey Robinson penned hits for the Miracles just kept coming. Um, in the early 1960s, we see uh, Ain't It Baby, Everybody's Gotta Pay Some Dues, What's So Good About Goodbye, and then your second million-selling single, You've Really Got a Hold On Me. about the inspiration for that song particularly i i just love i don't like you but i love you that's such a great <laughs> opening line it just grabs you you yeah. can't not thank pay you. attention but thank you tell, tell us a bit about that song uh another one of my my, my number two singing idol that's <laughs> kid growing up was sam cook oh, oh yeah. yeah i loved me some sam Cooke. and i see i had met sam before he became secular because aretha franklin was one of my closest friends and her father reverend c.l franklin had a big church in Detroit, and all the artists came. The front, Sam was with the Soul Stirs at that time. Right. And when Sam and the Soul Stirs were going to be at Reverend Franklin's church, women who didn't even go to church, <laughs> <laughs> there were lines double around the block <laughs> trying to get into the church. Right, you know. Right. And then he became secular, so I loved Sam Cook, man. Yeah. And Sam had a record I'll call Bring It On Home To Me. Very bluesy. Mm. If you ever change your mind. And I love that record. So I had to go to New York to make a deal, because I was vice president of Motown, so I had to go to make a deal with another publisher in New York. Mm -hmm. We were gonna buy them, Joe Bet Music was gonna buy them, so I went there to make the deal. So I <clears throat> went back to my hotel room that night after the, after the meeting and all the stuff like that, and I went back to my hotel room and I was just sitting there by myself, and I was thinking, I wanna write something like, bring it home to me. And I started working on it, and then it was, you really got a hold on me. Mm -hmm. That's such a great one. 
Thank you. Well, you know, you, you began branching out, you know, uh, again, uh, before you'd been wanting to write for Barrett Strong, and then it's like, no, you're going to write for the Miracles, and you had to have that kind of argument back and forth. Um, you know, then you had these three consecutive top ten pop singles for Mary Wells that were released in 62, The One Who Really Loves You, You Beat Me to the Punch, and Two Lovers. At the same time, though, The Miracles is happening in a strong way. H- how did you kind of balance this thing of, like, I want to write for my own artistry, and I, and I want to give my best ideas to what we're doing versus I want to be a writer for other acts. Which one was kind of more a passion for you at the moment? Uh, neither one. Hmm. Neither one. I, I just liked, you know, like I said, I write all the time, man. And uh, see, Mary Wells was another assignment. Hmm. You know, she came, uh, she, she had a song for Jackie Wilson, in fact, <laughs> when she first came to Motown, yeah. Bye Bye Baby. Yeah. And uh, she had met Barry at a little nightclub in Detroit. And Barry said she followed him all around the club and told him that she had this song for Jackie Wilson, and he wasn't even paying any attention because we, you know, Motown was started then. You know, he wasn't paying much attention. He was, uh, <clears throat> so he finally said, "Okay, sing it for me." <laughs> so she sang "Bye Bye Baby" for him, and Mary had that kind of little sex rasp in yeah. her voice. And he said, "Man, she started singing for me." He said, "I loved her voice." So the next day he had her to come over to Motown, and we recorded "Bye Bye Baby" on her, which was kind of like a hit, you know. So he told me, he said, I want you to do an album on Mary. And so I said, okay, cool. So I, I, um, I wanted to do something different with her than all the girls that were out at that time. So I'm looking at TV, man. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't thought of it yet, but I'm looking at TV and I'm looking at Ed Sullivan. And who's on Ed Sullivan but Harry Belafonte, hmm. who I loved. Yeah. And he's got the Calypso thing with the bongos and the this and the mm-hmm. that. And Dale, you know, he's doing it. And so I said, that's it. I'm going to make Mary the Harry Belafonte of <laughs> women, women, blues singers. Wow. So that's why her first record I did with her, The One Who Really Loves You, is the bongos and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Wow. And, yeah, you really and, hear it. You know, yeah, you know. And so that's where I went with her. And that, so uh, that, that's how I started working with her. But she was my assignment. Well, you obviously created more hits for Mary, such as Laughing Boy and, and your old standby. But the song that she will forever be remembered for is my guy which also became your first number one on the billboard pop chart as a songwriter One of the things that, that My Guy is famous for is breaking up the Beatles' monopoly of having all five, yes. you know, <laughs> top songs. Now, obviously, the Beatles were fans of yours. I mean, they'd already covered You've Really Got a Hold on Me before, you know, before that even happened. Um, so they clearly had respect for you. But when that British invasion happened, um, you guys at Motown were kind of the 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 bastion of American songwriting that sort of <laughs> was the only challenge to that British invasion. Were you guys kind of looking around thinking like, oh, is everything changing on us? Like, what's what's going on here with pop music? Was that like a, a, a uncharted territory kind of time, or did you not worry about that kind of stuff? No, man. You know, we we weren't really worried about that, man. In fact, the Miracles and I had met the Beatles before they became the Beatles. Hmm. Uh, we were in Liverpool performing, and they were playing at a little club. And that night, the promoter took us to the club after the gig, you know, and they were playing down there, yeah. like a little basement club, and they're playing. Huh. 
They were all very nice guys. But it, when the, when the British invasion happened, man, we weren't really worried about that because we make a lot of hits then. Sure. Mm. You know, so yeah. we weren't really. In fact, we were fans of theirs. You know. Yeah. And you know, uh, the, the, Paul McCartney and and and, and John Lennon, two of the greatest songwriters to ever pick up a pen. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, kind of a mutual admiration. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, My Guy was Mary Wells' last Motown hit before she departed for another label, but you began working pretty seriously with The Temptations around that time at writing and producing their first hit, The Way You Do the Things You Do. Uh, What can you tell us about how that song came together? I had known uh, Otis and Melvin from high school. When they finally came over to Motown, they had another guy named Al singing with them before David Ruffin. We were excited about them, and we recorded them. And um, nothing, nothing happened. They, hmm. they just could not get a hit. They just could not get a hit. And uh, I always had an, I had a nickname for them. I used to call them the Five Deacons. And that was after David got in the group, though, because if I brought David and Melvin and Otis and Eddie and Paul in this room right here right now, and if they were all still alive, and I brought them in this room, and I say, hey, man, sing, ooh, they could say, ooh, and shake this room. Wow. You know what I'm saying? That's how tight and how heavy their harmony was, you know. I was calling Five Deacons. <laughs> so I was out on tour with the Miracles, and I heard um, It's All Right by Curtis Mayfield mm-hmm. and yeah. the Impressions, you know. And they were singing together, say, it's all right, have a good time. Is it so? I said, that's what the Temptations should do. Wow. They should sing a song where they're singing harmony like that with mm-hmm. each other and so on and so forth. On the way back, I started working on the way you do things you do, and that's where that so you could hear the harmony in it even as you were constructing yes, the melody. Absolutely. Wow. You got a smile so bright. You know you could have been a candle. I'm holding you so tight. You know you could have been a handle. The way you swept me off the feet. worked with the artists like that. I, I would not put words in the songs that they didn't sing well. Yeah. So typically, if you kind of got a song idea, you would kind of be casting it and thinking about who might sing it, as opposed to just kind of randomly... I, I, I never wrote randomly. Yeah. Mm. I, I'll, I'll use My Girl as an example of that. My Girl has become, as a songwriter, my international anthem. Mm. We go to countries, man, I sing My Girl on my live show. We go to countries where the primary language is not even English, where 70% of the people in the audience don't even speak English, mm. okay? And as soon as they hear, boom, 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 yeah. boom, 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 they know what's happening. They mm-hmm. jump up. They're all singing it. They're all doing all that. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing because mm. I never dared to dream that my girl would become what it has become yeah. Yeah. as a song. I never dared to dream that. You know what I was doing with my girl? David Ruffin and Paul Paul Williams were in that group. So after I got the first hit on the on on the uh, on the Temptations with the way you do things you do, at Motown all of the artists were always available to all of the producers and writers. You never had a lock on an artist. You know, if you went to an artist, if one of the producers and writers came, say, hey, I got this song, do you like it? And the artist said, yes, you were free to record it. Mm. 
So everybody jumped on the Temptations bandwagon. They started using Eddie Kendricks for their lead singer. The girl's all right with me and all, all the songs like that with Eddie Kendricks. Now, I know David Ruffin is in that group. <laughs> and I know Paul Williams sorry, in that group. And, and so I know that they're in that group and they can really sing. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to write something for David's voice because David had that that rough baritone tenor voice, and I always tell him he scared the girls in the water him because he but 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 he had that voice, and I say if I get him to sing something sweet, you know. So people ask me many times, why didn't you keep my girl for yourself in the miracle zone? Because were it not for the temptations, I never would have written my girl. Hmm. You see, I never yeah. would have written that song. That song, I don't think. You know, yeah. if I had it been later on down the, but that song came specifically for the temptations and for David Ruffin's voice. Mm. You know? So And that was their first I, hit with David on, on lead vocal. On lead vocal, yeah. 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 The first hit with him on lead vocal. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. But uh and I always wrote the songs specifically for those people. Mm-hmm. I, I never just wrote a bunch of songs and said, Oh, this will fit so and so and this will fit so and so. No. It was always tailored. On a cloudy day When it's cold outside I've got the month of May You had additional success with The Temptations, obviously, on songs like It's Growing and Since I Lost My Baby and, and Get Ready. Um, and Get Ready was, a, was an R&B number one when it was first released, um, but barely made it into the top 30 on the pop charts, which is hard for me to believe because I feel like everybody in the world you know, knows mm-hmm. that song now. After that point, we don't see you working with the Temptations as much. And I understand that Motown was like a pretty competitive songwriting environment. Like it didn't matter how many hits you had written with somebody. Exactly. It was all about who's Who got the, the next record? one. Yeah. Who had the best record? That, that was our policy. Who's got the best record? That's why we had so many hits, man. Yeah. Because whoever yeah. had the best record, that was what was coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forget all that. You mm-hmm. got to lock on this artist. No, you don't. You know, so Norman Whitfield took over yeah. the Temptations and started writing. He, he got them their first Grammy. Yeah. With, uh, with Cloud Nine and all right, that. You know, right, right. Norman, Norman did a great job yeah. with The Temptations. In what ways as a songwriter does that challenge you and also kind of mess with your head a little bit? No, man. Uh, not, not for me because, see, first of all, I, I love The Temptations and I've always loved them. They were my brothers. Yeah. So if good things were happening for them, I was for it. You know, and I was writing for a lot of people. So, yeah. I, I, you know, by him, doing, I was very happy for them. Yeah. You know, because he took them to another level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he took them to a whole other level. Yeah. 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 And I was very happy about that. So do you think <clears throat> in terms of like the, the healthy competition of an environment like that, iron sharpens iron. So you got all these writers, everybody's competing to get mm-hmm. the best song. I mean, that's got to make everybody, everybody rises together. Yeah. Barry has a saying that he made up. Competition breeds success. Mm. He had that on the wall. 
Yeah. Competition breeds success. Yeah. So we were all competitive against each other. And I'll, I'll use Norman Whitfield for an example. If Norman Whitfield was in the studio recording something on The Temptations, and he said, hey, Smoke, come in here, man. I need you to do some hand claps or some foot stomps or something like that. I would go do it. Yeah. yeah. If I called Norman, I'm cutting something on the Timberlands. Hey, Norman, come in and play the tambourine. He would come and do it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because we were competitive, but we were for each other. Yeah. yeah. You know? Everybody that we had. To, see, the Motown family, we talk about that. And back in the day, I don't know how people feel about that now, or if they still even are conscious of the fact that we call ourselves that. Those of us who are still alive, we still have the Motown family. Mm -hmm. But we were the Motown family, man. Yeah. That's who we were. We weren't just stable mates. And other, we went to each other's homes. Mm -hmm. We ate at each other's houses. We did picnics and going to different things to, with each other. We, did, we hung together. Hitsville. Normally, your workplace, if you don't have to work, you're being away from that. You stay anywhere mm -hmm. but there. Right. Hitsville. Whenever you were in town as an artist, you went to Hitsville. Why? Because you knew everybody was going to be there. Hmm. That was our hangout. Yeah. Everybody hung out at Hitsville. All the artists who were in town every day is just, you know. Real community. We, it, just, it was a real yeah. family, community type thing. Yeah. Even with the people who worked in the offices and stuff, they were part of it. I mean, it wasn't like just the artists we did. No, no, no. The secretaries, the receptionists, the guys in sales, the people, you know, management. Mm -hmm. We all hung together yeah it was it was great man. that's really it was cool. beautiful i've never seen anything like that yeah it, we, we had a conversation with lamont dozier and he he talked about even the the, the meals you know the lunch times yeah. and, and then there were also the kind of the quality control meetings when mm -hmm. there would be listening and there would be yeah. feedback and things like that um and, and i've seen that some of those meetings had a direct impact on the composition and arrangement of tracks of my tears yes another big hit that you wrote produced and sang with yeah. the miracles in 1965. Um, I'd love to get a little insight from you on those meetings and how they uh, impacted that song in particular. Only the creative people were allowed. No, no salespeople. No, nobody. Only the creative, the writers and the producers, were allowed in those meetings. They were in Barry's, excuse me, Barry's office on Monday mornings, nine o'clock sharp. You got that nine o one? You're locked out. Mm. Okay, nine o'clock sharp. You would bring in all of your material that you wanted to expose in that meeting, everything you had been working on, whoever was on, whatever artist or whatever it was, you know, you would bring it in, and we as a creative body would sit there and critique each other's stuff, wow. you know? And we would critique it in order to try to make it better. Yeah. Not just because, well, I, I want my record to come out, so no, we were trying to make it better. Now, you mentioned the tracks of my tears. Marv Tarplin was my guitarist who I stole from Diana Ross. <laughs> but he was my guitarist, and he was my music mountain. Hmm. Going to a go-go, ain't that peculiar. Hmm. I mean, just song after song after song. He is the origin of it. He oh. would put his guitar riffs on tape and give them to me till I could come up with a song for his music, you know. Wow. So that's how the Tracks of My Tears started. And I had the Tracks of My Tears on tape. And I had, uh, I came up with, uh, take a good look at my face, you smile, look at my face. I had no words for the verse or nothing. Hmm. If you're close, it's easy to trace. It's easy to trace that you're gone. No. It's easy to trace that I miss you so much. No. Hmm. One day I'm in the mirror, man. I'm shaving. I'm thinking to myself, like myself said, now what if a person had cried so much till their tears just left tracks in their face? Yeah. I said, that's it. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's, wow. that's it. The right. tracks were tears. So I recorded it. 
And there's a, an interlude in there that comes after every verse. I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. It comes after every verse. So when I took the record into the meeting, I was ending it like that. I need you, I need you. We're going out. I need you, I need you. And everybody listened to it, you know. And when I got done, they said to me, they said, uh, man, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? They said, man, that's a great song, man. Are you crazy? Why would you end that up when you got a chorus like that? End it up with I need you, I need you. Huh. You're supposed to bring that chorus back and back and back until wow. that record ends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's what I did. Wow. I went back in the studio <laughs> and I re-recorded it. Right. With the chorus going out, you know. Right. So take a good look at my face. You see my smile looks out of place. If you look closer, it's easy to chase the tracks of my tears. You know, uh, another Miracles hit from that same year was Ooh Baby Baby, which yeah. became an even bigger hit when Linda Ronstadt covered it in 1978 and uh, took it to the Billboard Top 10. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about that one? Ooh Baby Baby started on stage. You really? Know, Miracles and I were on stage when that started because we used to do a medley of love songs that had been recorded by other artists of that day. Mm. Okay, and there were about six songs in that medley and we sang it every night, you know. And uh, so we were at the Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. And uh, the last song in that medley, there was a group called the Schoolboys, And they had a record out called Please Say You Want Me Too. And that was the last song in that medley. Please say you want me too. We sing it in the girls. We, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and one night we were singing that. And at the end of it, rather than ending it, I just started singing, ooh, baby, baby. And the Miracles and I were so in tune to each other because we had known each other since we were 10 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. The cats just looked at me, and then they started singing. They just started harmonizing with that. Ooh, wow. The crowd went bananas. Wow. Okay? So we said, shit, we're going to leave that in. <laughs> so we started doing it every night. <laughs> and then finally we said, hey, we might as well make a record of this because, right. <laughs> because the people love this. <laughs> right. They've never even heard it. And that's where Ooh, Baby Baby came from. Wow. <laughs> just just writing hits without even trying. <laughs> just up there just singing. Right. It's like you got a global just hit. coming out. <laughs> The hits just kept coming for the miracles uh, in that era, including your classic song, Going to a Go-Go, which was, of course, later covered by the Rolling Stones. Um, by the start of 1967, however, the, the miracles rechristened Smokey Robinson in the miracles. And along with that emphasis on your personality as the group leader came the single More Love, which I've heard you describe as one of your most personal songs. I understand that was kind of born out of some real struggles that you and your wife were facing at the time. Talk about that song and just kind of the, the the personal nature of that as opposed to maybe some of the others? Well, uh, More Love uh, came, my, my first wife, Claudette, who was the girl in the Miracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the course of us uh, trying to get pregnant, you know, we had seven miscarriages wow. because uh, she was on the road and so on. I finally convinced her to come off the road. She still recorded all the records with the Miracles. Even after I left, she was still recording with the Miracles, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, I convinced her to come off the road because the road is hard. Sure. And uh, so, but we found out she had a medical problem that, uh, that, that it was. And then we also found out, see, a lot of guys don't know that. I'm glad you asked me this question because a lot of guys think that when their women don't get pregnant, it's the woman's fault. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? 
the man is, can be just as much at fault because my sperm count was low, mm. you know? And many guys have low sperm count, and especially the doctor explained to me, men who travel. Mm. So um, we had uh, seven miscarriages, and the last miscarriage that we had were twin girls. And the mm. Miracles and I were in New York. We were playing at, um, at um, it wasn't Coney Island, but it was some pier, I forgot yeah, what to call yeah. it. Anyway, we're playing there. And I, I get this call from my niece, and she said, okay, she said, because Claudia was seven months pregnant at the time, she said, okay, her water broke, so you need to come home mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. she's going to the hospital, and we're sure that the baby's going to live because she's seven months pregnant. Yeah. You know, the, the stupid doctor never knew that they were twins. Oh. You know, So at seven months, the respiratory systems and all those things like that for twins did not get a chance to develop like they should. Mm -hmm. By the time I get home, they were both dead, mm. you know, and so we buried them. And, uh, and uh, so she was really, really, really crying and, and feeling like it was her fault every time. She's every time I go to the hospital, she says, oh, I'm sorry, I let you down mm. again. No, you didn't let me down. You were here. I didn't know the babies. I wanted them, but I didn't know them. You mm. know, I know mm. you. You, you, you. You're my person, so... How can you let me down? You're trying mm. this just like me, and you you mm -hmm. you can wait the blunt of the thing. Yeah. You know, mm. how are you letting me down? You yeah. Know? yeah. But she always said that, you know. So I went there, and she was crying about the twins, and, you know, and she said it. And I went home that night. She was still in the hospital. And so I wrote more love to let her know that, you know, um, you're, you're, you're the important person to me. Hmm. You know, wow. I, I want the babies, but I don't know them. Yeah. I've never met them or anything. So you're here. Speaking of Claudette, I, I understand that you were actually shopping for a, a gift uh, for her one time when your friend uh, misspoke and accidentally created the title oh, yes. of one of the greatest songs in history. <laughs> I second that emotion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, he was, we were both, we were Christmas shopping actually. Yeah. And he was married too. And we were Christmas shopping for our wives. And uh, we went to the counter and we were talking to this young lady. She was talking to something. And Al Cleveland was the guy's name, and we was, she was telling something in the old saying, I second the motion, you know, he was trying to say that. Right. He, but he accidentally said, oh, yeah, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I second that emotion. <laughs> and we laughed because he said that. The girl laughed. We laughed. <laughs> and then we're walking out of the store, and I thought about it. <laughs> I said, hey, man. I said, right. That is a hell of a song title. <laughs> right. You know, right. He said, yeah, man. So we, that, that's where it came from. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gotta always have your antenna up oh, if yeah, you're a songwriter. Absolutely, man. <laughs> And there's so many serendipitous moments in these stories. I feel like the miracles was absolutely the right name for your group. You know? <laughs> well, you know what, man? It was. It was the right name for our group because 
in choosing a name. We didn't choose a name for our group until after we had recorded Got a Job. Mm. And uh, Barry said, well, you know, you're called the Matadors, you know, so that don't fit a girl, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So we got to get a name for a girl. So we, all, we, everybody thought of a name, and we put it into a hat, shook it up, pulled out. It was the Miracles. That was the name I put in there, the wow. Miracles. Wow. So it was supposed to be our name. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's another miracle. Right <laughs> Absolutely, right. man. Um, yeah. I'd like to talk about Marvin Gaye for a okay. moment. Okay. Um, in 1965, he released I'll Be Doggone his first million seller, his first number one R&B record, and the first Smokey song he recorded. It was soon followed by Ain't That Peculiar, which was yet another R&B number one. Now, you've been writing for your own group and, and Mary Wells and The Temptations, but Marvin was a songwriter himself. Mm-hmm. Was there anything different about that process or about the, the relationship with an artist when you contributed songs to them and they were a writer as well? No, because Marvin wasn't writing songs at that point. Mm. Mm. See, he hadn't started doing that at that point. You know, he was, he was merely a, one of our singing artists, you know. Yeah. And uh, so um, he hadn't started writing at that point. Wow. He or Stevie, you know, they hadn't started writing for themselves right. at that point. You know? Wow. So, uh, yeah, and Marvin was one of my closest friends. We were together almost every day, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a joy to work with him. Yeah. He was, he was, Marvin was such a great song interpreter, you know. Yeah. Mm. You know, Marvin was always late. <laughs> he was, man. Marvin was always late, man. I got to the point where I was going to have a session at 8 o'clock. I tell Marvin it's going to start at 6.30. <laughs> He'd still be late. He'd get there at 9, you know. But I knew when he got there, I used to tell him, you know, I show him the song, and he would proceed to sing my song and do stuff that I never dared to dream vocally. You know, wow. I used to tell him he marvelized my songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, you marvelize it again. We laugh. You right. Know? <laughs> but he was such a great singer, man. He was such a great interpreter of song. Yeah. Right. You know, he, it was a joy to work with him. I mean, it's crazy that you were having all the success with, you know, with Marvin. You were having success with uh, the Marvelettes doing, you know, Don't Mess With Bill and the Hunter Gets Captured by the Game. And during all this time, I mean, I don't know. It was like you had more hours in the day than everybody else or something. It was very productive. (laughs) But, you know, during all this time, the Miracles are still scoring hits, too, with If You Can Wait, Baby, Baby, Don't Cry, Dog Gone Right, and, and Tears of a Clown a song that you wrote with Stevie Wonder yeah. <laughs> you just mentioned and uh, and Henry Cosby My understanding is that that record was an album cut in 1967 and then it kind of came came back like how did how did that happen that that song kind of went from being a a deep cut to a huge hit single well we were actually having one of our christmas parties you know we had them every year and uh stevie came in and he had he came up he said man i got he said i got a great track i have a great track man i just can't think of a song to go with this track I want you to listen to it and see what you can come up with. So I said, okay, cool, man. So I took it home and I listened to it. The first thing I heard was bump, 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 but dun 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 which is Barnum and Bailey, <laughs> Wingman Brothers. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the first impression that it gave me. So I wanted to write something about the circus, but I didn't want to write about animals or trapeze artists or anything. I wanted to write something that would touch people's hearts, that would be, you know, heart-touching about mm. the circus, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I was a child... 
I don't even remember where I heard this, but I heard a story about Pagliacci. And today, I don't even know if Pagliacci is mythical or if he was real. But Pagliacci was the Italian clown that made everybody happy. Hmm. He was the feature performer at the circus. All the animal acts and the trapeze and the tightrope, they were secondary to Pagliacci. Everybody mm. came to see Pagliacci, and he cheered him, and he, everybody loved him. And then he went back to his dressing room, and he would cry because he didn't have that kind of love from a woman. Mm. Mm. So I said, I'm going to write about Pagliacci, but I'm just going to personalize it. Wow. Tears of Clown. <laughs> we recorded it in 1967, didn't think any more about it. In 1970, a young lady who worked for Motown in England was listening to that album, playing it in the office. And our guy over there, our top guy was a guy named Peter who ran that office. And she came to Tears of a Clown. She played over and over again. And she told Peter, she said, Peter, she, we should release this here, man. She said, this is a great song. We should release this here. So Peter heard it and he said, okay, yeah. So he released it. And it was the biggest record we'd ever had in England ever. Wow. wow. So I had another record ready to go in yeah. the States, and I'm getting ready to put it out, and Bear said, no, 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 man, put it out, <laughs> Tears of a Clown. Right. Yeah. So we did. We just test marketed it in England. <laughs> no question about it. All right. People because like it. To this day, it's still the biggest single I've ever been associated with. Wow. wow. It was all over the world. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 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 You know, to, to look ahead a few years from there, um, there was a top five pop R&B hit called Cruisin'. Yeah. Um, and some songs come really quickly, but others can take some time. And I, I've read that Cruisin' was one that took a little while yeah. To percolate, is that right? Yeah, cruising. Uh, once again, was the music of Marv Tarplin, mm. and he was so Marvin was so sexy and sensual the way he played the guitar, and uh, so he he put that music on tape for me, and I would listen to it. It would put me to sleep at night. I had looped mm. it, you know, and I'm listening mm-hmm. to it, and I loved it. It's so sexy. So I wrote a couple of songs that they weren't sexy. They weren't anything. I didn't like them, you know. So finally, one night, I came up with the beginnings of the chorus, just like Tracks of My Tears. Came up with the beginning of the chorus. You're going to fly away, and I'm glad you're going by, because I love it. Hmm. Love what? I love that we're together. I love Went through a thousand of those I love it's. You know? And one day, I, was, I had a convertible at the time, and I'm driving down Sunset Boulevard. And I'm just driving down, and I'm girl watching and listening to the music and stuff like that. I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm just cruising down Sunset. That's it. <laughs> I'm cruising down Sunset. I turned my car around, and I went back home. <laughs> and I sang the chorus, and I said, I love when we're cruising together. Man. And that was it, but it took five years. It took five years, and I was able to build the rest of the song around that. Wow. But it took five right. years because I couldn't come up with anything that I thought was suitable for his music. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. A shop around takes 20 minutes, others take five years. <laughs> yeah, you can't exactly, control necessarily exactly, how it's going to exactly, unfold. you can't. Well, in 1981, 21 years after your first top 10 single, Being With You became your 48th song to become a top 10 hit on either the pop or R&B the, Don't adjust your sets, listeners. That, <laughs> yeah, that's 48, 48 at that point. <laughs> right. Um, but I hear that you actually wrote uh, Being With You with another artist in mind before Absolutely. you ended up cutting it yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we talked about more love earlier. Uh, Kim Carnes, who's yeah. a great artist. 
had uh, this this guy named George Tobin, and he's a producer and he lives in L.A. or he used to, and uh, he uh, had recorded "More Love" on Kim Carnes, and so I heard it, and this was before she came out with Betty Davis Eyes. And I heard her singing more love, and so I wrote five songs for her right quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I took them over, over to George. Strike while iron's hot. I, absolutely, man. <laughs> I took them over to George, and I, I played them for him. When I was playing Being With You, he said, man, I really like that, man. So I said, oh, okay, cool. You know, so I'm playing for him. And then I got to, <laughs> I got to mm. sing it, and he said, okay, man, Smoke, why don't you let me record that on you? <laughs> you know, the same thing. Same, that back back with <laughs> No, 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 man. No, I got, got you know, Kim. So he said, he finally said to me, he finally acquiesced. He said, okay, man. He said, I tell you what, come back to my studio tonight. He said, and I'm going to do a little arrangement. We'll, we'll make a demo for Kim. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. So the record was a demo for Kim Carnes. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> wow. So I just recently learned that that song went to number two on the Billboard pop chart. Do you know what the number one song was that kept yours from getting to number one? I have no idea. Betty Davis Eyes by Betty Kim D- Carnes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, she can have one. Yeah, yeah. no question about it. But that, that was why I wrote that. Well, I was eight years old when the uh, Motown 25 special aired. Now we're looking at the 60th anniversary of Motown. And paradoxically, it's like the songs are as fresh, you know, as ever. And they're also, they feel like an institute. They feel like the Mount Rushmore of, of pop music, you know. And there's just something about that Motown mystique that, is the, mm. that almost, you can't even quite put your finger on it, but it's just magic. And anytime you have a situation with a a company that starts out like a family, it starts out organically, it becomes a multi-million dollar business. You wind up with hurt feelings. You wind up with broken relationships. You wind up with lawsuits. That's just the nature of, of humanity. But you always have seemed to rise above all that. What is it you think that allowed you to sort of avoid getting dragged into some of that drama and just be all about the music? Gosh, I, I, I don't know, man. I see, I, 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 because I have a different viewpoint of um, success, mm-hmm. and especially in show business, you see, um, I have seen thousands of people come through show business. You know, I've been doing this for 60 years, man. So I've seen thousands come through. And the great majority of the thousands who came through and who you no longer know where they are or if they are was because they came in and they got a hit record or got some notoriety and they thought that they started it. Mm -hmm. They thought that now the world is aware of me, it cannot possibly do without me. And that's a bad mistake. So I've always known that it's a blessing you see, I'm a, I'm, I, I have a great, great, great relationship with God, mm. and it's a personal one. You know, I'm not a religious man, you know what I mean? But I, I know my source. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I have never forgotten that. And if you could see where I came from, especially now that Detroit is so devastated, basically, I came from some deep <laughs> shit, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me to have had the opportunity to be in a business like show business, and it, because it was my dream, it was my impossible dream. Mm. So God said, okay, man, I'm going to let you have this and see what you do. And I am always aware of that. I'm always aware of that. And I'm not going to Smokey Robinson trip on that, you know, because, mm. shit, I'm just a, a, a link in the chain. Mm. You know, I didn't start it. I ain't going to finish it. There, there are millions of people behind me. Yeah. And there were millions in front of me. You know what I mean? So I know that. Yeah. And, and I respect it. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to trip on success because it's fleeting. Yeah. You know, and it's here today and gone tomorrow if you don't, if you don't respect it and if you yeah. don't know why it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we have come to our last question, and I'm a little sad about it because our impossible dream was to interview the great Smokey Robinson, <laughs> oh, and here we are. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> seeing it in, but uh, in 2014, you released the album Smokey and Friends, and it was a collection of new recordings of some of your classic songs featuring duet guests like Elton John, Steven Tyler, John Legend, Mary J. Blige, Sheryl Crow, and others. Um, that album sold really well, um, yeah. illustrating that people just don't get tired of these songs. And, and I can attest to that. My four-year-old watches Motown Magic every that, day. That, 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 that's so beautiful, <laughs> man. And, 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 and that there are kids, like you were pointing out right here, right now, there are kids who haven't even been born who will know about Motown. That's, that's beautiful, man. Well, and, and, and we play her a lot of music, but she doesn't walk around and sing everything. Yeah. And do you have any you know, toehold or anything on, on what it is about what you do and what you've done that makes it so enduring, what it is about your gift and, and your work. Well, well, you know something, man? On the very first day of Motown, there were five people there. There was Barry and four others of us. And Barry said, man, he said, I'm going to start my own record company. We said, great. He said, he said yeah, man. He said, oh, I'm going to start my own record company. He said, but we're going to be different, man. We are not just going to make black music. We're going to make music for everybody. Mm. We're going to always make music where we have great beats and great stories. Mm. And that's going to be our criteria. Just great beats and great stories. And that's what we, so we set out to do that. And I think that that's why it has endured. Yeah. And it has been what it is. And it is what it is. Yeah. You, you said that. I, I, I listen to the radio, man, and I hear a Motown record come on, and I swear it sounds like it was made yesterday. Yeah. And it just came out yesterday, yeah. you know, and it's the four tops. So we set out to do that, man. And, and fortunately, we accomplished. Sure did. Well, yeah. Well, Smokey, this has been truly a dream for us. When we started this show, we said, if there's one dream guess we could get, <laughs> it's Smokey Robinson. Well, yeah. That's always guys, been our, our goal. And Thank so you so is, much. Great. I really appreciate it. So your we can time. we can just quit now. It's just uh, it's <laughs> yeah, over, right? The show's done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks as always for listening and for your support. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Again, you can find us by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. 
While Songcraft is available to our listeners at no charge, we ask friends like you to consider becoming a Songcraft patron at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. There you can pledge as little as $2 per month to help Songcraft continue its mission of bringing you great interviews with great songwriters. Plus, you'll have the opportunity to access bonus content and get the chance to enjoy unique rewards and experiences as a member. We look forward to getting together again with you for the next episode of Songcraft Spotlight on Songwriters. 